0: Hey everybody, welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I'll be reading from my semi-autobiographical novel. I'm just making it up as I go along, and things have not been working out as well as I intended. Chapter 9,223, Temporary Friends, Part 2, Pleasure Island. I have to say that I am not one to have a transactional disposition to life. I feel it cheapens our shared experiences and puts a price tag on everything, which reduces existence To numbers that are counted by and matter mostly to boorish Philistines. It's like begging for mercy and expecting your executor to have a change of heart at the very last minute. That being said, the thing about being difficult or stressful or dramatic or arduous or perilous or just ill considered experiences is that they quite often provide people having those same experiences with the opportunity to gain insight into their own, others' nature, a greater general understanding of human nature. And if you learn from them and apply the insight, you just might gain a bit of foresight. But many of us are far too short-sighted to do either or both of those things, and we condemn ourselves to reliving them over and over, and over again. I am quite guilty of that, even as I persist to any degree to gain any understanding and awareness of my own nature. I have been guided by desire and a deep thirst for experiences that were apart from the safer, saner, more mundane, predictable life I was under the incredibly naive impression was crushing me, or causing me to feel dread about fear of missing out Or some nonsense that appealed to my sense of vanity and ego and my deep, impulsive, reckless, cavalier, careless need to have sexual contact with many, many other men. If you actually get the chance to survive and endure, things will happen to you anyway. But I pushed my luck. I did gain enough adult perspective to grow and learn how to function outside of a fixed environment. although. Once left in the wild, I just howled like a loon, hardly a lone wolf. But to others, I might have given that appearance. But to myself, I knew I was a scared, feckless, stupid, ignorant child. At a point I might have looked back on as the height of my immaturity and foolishness, it was merely the harbinger of much worse to come. For me, anyway. My life would become completely different, and it seems that it would have been very unlikely for me to ever have the experiences I am about to relate. But my foolish immaturity was the catalyst for a catastrophic series of poor personal choices, and my naivete compounded my lack of perceptive thinking and hampered any aptitude for critical thinking. I was receiving dopamine and oxytocin from external sources, and they were alien and quite different from my own experience. At this point, I have to thank and deeply apologize to my parents for being such lovely human beings and express not only my distaste for the character of those I surrounded myself with, but a terrible sense of pity for the experiences they were forced to endure and shape their characters for better or worse. Some had strikingly similar traumas, virtually word for word, yet turned out to be extraordinarily different in traits and actions from each other. And for the most part, they had, at best, tangential contact with each other. And their backgrounds and traumas were never discussed, mentioned, or acknowledged. There was no kumbaya. This was always their backstories and not anything they had conversation with until you got to know them. I was so naive that I did not realize that the person manipulating me had a rough draft of her shtick and was using me as sort of a crash test dummy to refine and polish her story. She had a story, an origin story. She had a brand. As time went on, I heard updated versions of the story, and they became more and more disagreeable to me since I was highly aware of the actual truth behind her, let's say fanciful narrative, and they did not jibe by a wide margin. She liked claiming things like she was a published poet, when in reality, in those days, there were plenty of self-publisher presses that would take money from wannabes and print their collection of drivel and books, which they would sell back to the writers, who would purchase extra copies to distribute or have on display to impress less discerning types so they could prove to others that they were among a select field of inspired artists whose collected works were compiled together by highly respected titans in their respective area of intellectual concentration, and the book was therefore proof. Technically, she was a published poet, but she had to pay for the privilege, received no literary recognition or income from them, They were just post-adolescent messes of feelings and poorly articulated ideas. Very few actual themes. Everything was obvious and dull and beneath the level of greeting cards. There was no literary agent, powerhouse, or critically respected editorial staff seeking out these people's output. Just a press or a mid-scale printer who had the extra physical facility in which to make money off of schnooks determined to satisfy an itch. These things actually did happen, like the Rodale Press not a publishing house by any literary standards, but where hacks and loons would go to churn out their awful conspiracy theories and propaganda. If anybody worked there in any editorial sense, it would likely be to collate and proof check the typing of the material, possibly to edit out repeated words, but nothing of any substance. They really did. That was it. But it was my bad for following a misguided desire to be a restaurateur. What was I thinking as much as it was hers for being dishonest? Sleaze to me is mostly something I ignore, except when someone or some people do something sleazy to me. Suddenly my inner sense of righteousness is awoken and I am livid. My blood boiled. That happened to me. And I pictured myself as a lone wolf howling in the wilderness of a place where I was still fucked up and searching for direction. I never received that direction, but I did eventually climb up and out and escape from that sewer. The thing it does help to do, like knowing what you don't want versus knowing what you do want, is it helps you decide and clarify what your values are. Some things you are fine with, but there are some things where you draw a very hard defined line. You don't cross that line, and if someone else does, that is a trespass. You make that decision, and those distinctions become crystal clear in your mind, and they become unshakable if you have the fortitude. A lot of us are never tested, and it is a good thing because most of us aren't prepared to deal with the underbelly of life. Most of those who live in the underbelly aren't prepared to deal with the finer things or have no use for them in the first place. Plain noodles and fried ground beef with ketchup. That's dinner. And I actually knew someone I did not particularly want to know who preferred fried ground beef and plain noodles with ketchup as his most frequent evening meal. He also coincidentally expressed himself crudely and with violence. Imagine that. He was not only stagnant, but had regressed on the social ladder. I did not know that he came from a highly abusive, dysfunctional background where his, for lack of better words, Father thought it was amusing to moisten his finger by sticking it in his mouth, then place his moistened finger in an empty light bulb socket where the fixture was in the on position and grab one of his children's shoulders while they were eating breakfast and using a metal spoon. Because that would be funny to electrocute them while they were eating because the metal would electrocute them. And if they had fillings in their teeth, that would be even funnier to him. And in uh, what seemed to be a very uncharacteristic show of humanity, the abusive father took this fried ground beef noodles and ketchup guy in after the ground beef guy's parents were killed in an auto collision, which left him homeless and wandering the streets to fend for himself at the age of 12. Really? That was his father's good or fun side, doing that, that act of kindness. This is not a story with any happy endings, and for myself it was a relief to extricate myself from a horrid mess of backbiting, drug-addicted, conscience free nihilistic, pleasure-seeking, hedonistic, ethically challenged, dishonest, atrocious, larcenous, culturally illiterate, mentally unhealthy, self-centered, obnoxious, low-lives, constantly generating ill will like the cast of Seinfeld before their retribution comeuppance at the end, but on steroids end to the nth power. I had the bad fortune of becoming entangled with and stumbling into a demi monde of depravity. I felt like Pinocchio on Pleasure Island. I was a stupid little boy who was disobedient and played hooky from school. Precisely. What an idiot. I certainly was, to put it kindly, a donkey. I was fortunate enough to make my escape, but only after experiencing something I would not wish on the vast majority of people. It was like being in the terrible jail of the mind and spirit while being obligatorily affixed to a rotting corpse in the figurative sense. And to them, it was business as usual. Everything was fine. Everybody goes through life attached to a rotting corpse. What's your problem, Mister Big Time? Too good for the stench of rotting corpses? Oh, Lottie, die, you fag! This is the way of things. C'est la vie. And this, unknown to me at the time, or should I say unbeknownst, was on its way to become the coda to the death of someone else who succumbed to a heroin overdose in a basement by himself. Yep, two people in my life that I know of for certain died from heroin overdoses in basements. I don't know if that is a thing, but it was not my life. So to me, it is a thing. And a lot of other people I knew died from drug overdoses, and I don't know exactly where they died. And I still mourn a few of them because they were good friends. And others, I just shake my head and sigh because like the guys who died in basements Everybody saw their demises coming. Meanwhile, I'm dealing with bi-curious buddies who wanted to cheat on their girlfriends and fiancés with me. <laughs> and I was at the time struggling with my identity on a meta scale, which was weighing very heavily on my mind at all times. And it was such a pointless burn, constant burn inside me. But it was made worse in terms of mental and emotional stress. When compounded with my day-to-day experiences in hell, I knew and I know some bad people. I don't know if they are still alive, but they were bad. Bad to the bone. I assume most of them have perished. Others could be in prison. I did have a lot of bicarious buddies. I counted 22 of them straight to the core in public. Many with girlfriends and fiancés, as I said before. As soon as they got you behind closed doors, they wanted sex. Gay sex. Lots of gay sex. Straight acting. Very straight acting. End of part two. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kiddies say, peace out.